thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Good morning, church family. It is good to see you. Good for us to be together this morning. In the first service, I was sitting, well, standing in my pew, and there was a, a little girl in front of me standing there with her parents. And then one of this wee girl's friends arrived, and they were like five or six years old, and they had an embrace like they had not seen each other in years. After the service, the dad told me, they're neighbors. They saw each other this morning. <laughs> And then these two wee girls stood arm in arm, worshiping the Lord, and it just did my soul good. It did my soul good. It did my soul good in ways I didn't know I needed, and in ways that I could never have gone looking for something like that. And it just reminded me how, how important it is for us to be together. <laughs> how important it is for, for you to be here this morning. To meet with God, yes, but also to meet with one another. He, he knows how to love us and how to love us well, how to give us what we, we need, and so it's good for us to to be here. Quick encouragement to those who join us online, there's nothing quite like being here. If you're joining online because you have no other option, we're, we're, we're thrilled. Uh, but if you can make it here or if you can make it to a local church near you, we encourage you to do that because something special happens when God's people meet, meet together. And we pray that will continue now as we be in, in, our, in our Advent series, when God is near. Sometimes you show up at church feeling God's presence. Sometimes you show up feeling distracted and busy. Maybe you've showed up this morning feeling that you've wandered far from him. Well, the good news is wherever you are, he is near. We're going to see that in our text this morning. But first, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for a church family, for we girls who embrace after only a few hours apart, <laughs> and stand arm in arm singing praise to their God. Lord, make us like little children, that we would um, meet with one another, but also meet with you, and experience in you in fresh ways that, that you are near. So Lord, wherever we find ourselves, uh, show us uh, your presence, that we might know of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. God comes after us. God comes after us. That's what I want us to consider together this morning. We worship the God who comes after us. He pursues us. He seeks us out. He takes the initiative to draw us near. God comes after us, and we'll see this morning that that's good news, perhaps good news unlike any other. It was certainly good news for Moses. Look down at verse 1 of chapter 3. As we meet him in our text, we meet him in the wilderness. 
He's working for his father-in-law. He is looking after sheep. Now, in Moses' mind, it's important for us to know that this wasn't where he thought he was supposed to be, and this certainly wasn't what he thought he was supposed to be doing. How did he end up in the wilderness? Well, let's remember and enjoy the story together. You might remember that when Moses was born, the Israelites, God's people, were enslaved in Egypt. Slaves in Egypt, but a very fertile bunch. Exodus 1 tells us the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so the land was filled with them. Reminds me of our church. Children everywhere. What a blessing that is. But that's not a blessing if you're in charge of Egypt. If you're the Pharaoh, you you don't want you're, you're the, the people that you have enslaved to, to grow up and, and fill the land. And so to curb this population growth and protect the interests of his own nation, the Pharaoh issued the most cruel of decrees. Remember, he said that all Israelite sons, all newborn sons were to be thrown into the Nile, were to be drowned, were to be murdered. Well, for one young Israelite mama bear, this was just out of the question. And so remember what she does, having given birth to a son, she keeps him hidden for three months. Mums, we say, how on earth did she do that? How did she keep a newborn hidden for three months? It's the first miracle, I think, in the book of Exodus. Well, however she managed it, eventually the time came when she could no longer keep him hidden. And so what did she do? In faith, she put the baby in a basket, and she put the basket by the riverbank. Now, for all the hopes and fears that no doubt filled her heart, she could never have imagined what would happen next. Because Pharaoh's daughter, the daughter of the man who had just issued the decree that all the babies were to be drowned, well, the daughter of that Pharaoh went down to the river to bathe, and there she found a basket. And in the basket, she found the baby. And with compassion in her heart and a great deal of steel in her spine, she decided to ignore her own father's decree and instead adopt the child as her own. And so Moses became prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt. He slept in a royal bed. He dined on royal food. He received a royal education, all the pomp, all the power, all the pleasantry that comes with royalty belonged to him. And Moses spent years that way. But throughout, he never forgot where he came from. Moses never forgot where he came from. Though he was a prince and the Israelites were enslaved, he considered himself to be one of them. He considered them to be his brothers. And after four decades, four decades after Moses had been fished from the riverbank, when he was 40 years old, God put it in his heart to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, deliver them out of Egypt. However, do you remember his first attempt? His first attempt at deliverance just could not have gone more spectacularly wrong. Why? Because he decided he would try and do God's will through sin. 
that he would sin to try and bring about their, their deliverance. You may remember the passage where in Exodus 2 he goes out and sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. So an Egyptian beating an, an Israelite, one of his people. And so what did he do? He looked this way and he looked that. He looked to the right and he looked to the left and he saw that nobody was there and then he struck down the Egyptian and hid his dead body in the sand. A murderous act of his own. Acts chapter 7. Acts 7 is like the New Testament commentary on Exodus chapter 3. encourage you to read it later on. Acts 7 says this, Moses supposed that his Israelite brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And we know they didn't understand because the very next day, Moses went out again to see the people, and this time he came across another fight. Not an Egyptian fighting an Israelite, but two Israelites fighting each other. And this confused him. How could, how could his own brothers turn their anger against one another? And so he tried to intervene. He tried to reconcile them until one of them said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses realizes he may have looked all around. He may have checked left and right. He may have thought that nobody saw his murderous act, but somebody did see. And worst of all, this news is beginning to spread. It went Old Testament viral, made its way to Pharaoh, who decreed that for this crime, Moses was to pay with his very own life. Hence, Moses fled from Egypt. Thus, he ended up in the wilderness ended up in the wilderness, and by the time we get to him in verse 1 of chapter 3, he's been there for how long? For 40 years. Think about that. Don't, don't miss that. You know when you read the Bible, we move from verse to verse, and it's easy for us to miss the passage of time. Perhaps we assume that each event happened right after the, the event we just read. Well, sometimes that happens, but here, here in Exodus chapter 3, 40 years has passed. He was 40 when he fled for the wilderness, and by the time we meet him in this chapter, it's been another 40 years still. Four decades of exile. Four decades of sheep. Four decades of living in his father-in-law's basement. I wonder how his father-in-law felt. He's far from home. He's far from his people. And he's far, very far from the purpose he thought God had for his life. Far, very far from the purpose he thought God had for his life. And he's a vivid illustration for us, is he not? That, friends, you can blow up your life in a single moment. We can blow up our lives in a single moment. He went from the palace to the wilderness because of one bad decision. In a moment, it was was gone. And, and I'm curious, um, you ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're not where you're meant to be? You ever felt like you're not doing what you're meant to be doing? You ever felt like your, your life plan has fallen apart? And worst of all, have you ever felt that it's that way and it's your fault? You ever done something in your life and the shadow of it feels to hang over you even now? If not, if Moses' story doesn't resonate, let's make today a day of, um, a day of gentleness and a day of, of humility. Why? Because anyone can blow up their life in a single moment. Have, have you noticed what happens in our culture 
what happens in our culture when someone falls from grace? We all act very sad and shocked, and inwardly, we love it. There's something pleasurable about watching someone else's demise. And so just see throughout the years how the press have responded to Richard Nixon or O.J. Simpson or Michael Jackson, and today, it's, in, it's worse in our own cancel culture. We, we, we find a kind of joy when other people fall. But listen, um, can I promise you this? There would be nothing entertaining about your own fall. And those who have fallen will tell you, it's bitter at the bottom. It's bitter at the bottom. And so if you haven't done this to your life, make today the day that you, in humility, guard your own heart. The Puritans used to compare little sins to baby snakes that are wriggling out of a nest. You can kill them when they're small, but let them grow and they'll kill you. And you know, the Bible would warn us that all of us have things like that in our hearts. Baby snakes, if we leave them unattended, they could kill us. You know, everybody has something in their heart that has the power to take them out. What's in your heart that might be small today, but could take you out a year from now? Do you know? My contention is that everybody has something, so the only difference is some people know what it is and some people don't. And that makes me want to know what's going on in my heart. That makes me want to pay attention to my life. That makes me want to guard my heart. The Apostle Paul said, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Lest he fall. Failure can happen to us all. And if you know this through bitter experience, if you have blown up your life, here's here's the good news. God comes after us. God comes after us. Moses thought he was done, but God wasn't done with him. That's what we're going to see in these next few verses. Look down at verse 2 of chapter 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So note that this is just a a normal day for Moses. Nothing out of the ordinary, nothing out of routine. This is like the 14,600 days that have gone before. It was a typical Tuesday or whatever day of the week it, it was. And then something catches his attention. Notice that he, he doesn't go looking for God. He just sees a strange sight and decides to go and, and take take a look. Well, verse 4, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, if the sight of a bush that, that burned but did not burn up was surprising to Moses, how much more surprising was the voice? God calls his personal name, Moses, Moses. He calls it out twice. Moses pays attention, responding, here I am. Um, verse 5. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Holy ground. Um, to be holy just means to be set apart in a different category, unique. And there was nothing particularly holy about this particular patch of earth apart from God being there. 
Because wherever God is, there you have holy ground. And so Moses takes off his sandals as a mark of reverence, as a mark of awe. Then, verse 6, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses' life has been in turmoil. Moses' life has been all change. And God reminds him that he, God, through all of that, has remained the same. That he is the God of his fathers, the, the covenant-keeping, unchanging God of Abraham. The covenant-keeping, unchanging God of Isaac. The covenant-keeping, unchanging God of Jacob. The God who is steady, consistent, reliable, dependable, the same yesterday and today and forever. And as God has not changed, so his purpose for Moses has not changed either. Look down at verse 7. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Today's sermon is that God comes after us, but a different sermon could remind us of the fact that he's the God who always sees. Whatever suffering you're currently experiencing, God sees. And he doesn't just see, he cares. Look at verse 8. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand, hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse 9. And now behold the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, key verse. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh. I will send you to Pharaoh that you, Moses, may bring my people, the children of Israel, up out of Egypt. Act 7, the New Testament commentary on this passage, says this. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge. This same Moses was sent to be their ruler and their deliverer by God himself. Moses thought his story was over. God says, no, it's just about to begin. You think you're done, but, but I'm, I'm not done yet. And Moses did, in fact, go on to fulfill God's purposes for his life. Act 7, this man, Moses, led the Israelites out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for, for how long? For 40 years. 40 years as prince of Egypt. 40 years as shepherd in the desert. And then 40 years as Israel's deliverer. The broken servant God used to rebuild a ruined nation. The broken vessel that God was pleased to take and do wonders through. What's the point? The point is, friends, yeah, you can blow up your life in a single moment, and God can save your life in a single moment too. He can save your life in a single moment too. And, and remember how it happened. Because Moses went on some grand quest for God. No, he, he wasn't looking for God. He's just looking after sheep. Not because Moses went after God, but because God went after Moses. God brought his presence to Moses. God called Moses by name. God recommissioned him. The God of the Bible is the God who is in the recovery business. You know, God, 
God loves failures. He loves failures like Moses in the Old Testament. He loves failures like Peter in the New Testament. And today, he loves failures like us. And when we think we're done, he is not done with us. Sometimes we could say, God, yeah, gets your attention through a fire that you can't put out. A friend of that said that to me one time. Sometimes God gets your attention through a fire you can't put out. Um, he continued, don't give the devil the credit for a fire that God started in your life. Um, never waste a good crisis. If you're in the midst of the flames, if you're in the midst of some kind of suffering, see it as an invitation, see it as an opportunity to draw near to God. But you know, more often, more often that's actually not how God works. More often, he doesn't demand our attention in dramatic moments. Instead, he invites our attention in the quiet moments. That's normally how life, how life plays out on, on normal days. On days that are just like the 14,600 that have gone before. On typical Tuesdays, God invites us to draw near. And it's, it's curious, isn't it curious that God got Moses' attention, but waited for Moses to turn and pay attention before he spoke. God drew near, but waited for Moses to turn toward him before he spoke. It makes me wonder how many times God has called and invited my attention, and I've just been too busy or distracted to, to hear him speak. And maybe that's, maybe that's a meaningful invitation for us this Advent. In the midst of these everyday days, in the midst of all that's normal, perhaps especially in the midst of days that are, are full with, with busyness. Maybe, maybe we can keep an eye out for holy ground. Keep an eye out this week for those, those places where God is near. Those moments when he invites us to come to him, those opportunities to take off our metaphorical sandals and say, here I am. Because here's the thing, when you start to look for God, you see him everywhere. You see him everywhere. Social scientists have researched this and, and shown how this phenomenon is true of much smaller things as well. I, I bought a new rain jacket this week, right? Since I bought it, I see it. Everyone has this jacket. I see it everywhere. Now, what has happened? Has there been some rush and some multiplication of this jacket all across Knopfthal? No, I just now see it when I see it. It was there all along, but, but now I have the eyes to see well, in a much more profound way, so it is with God. When you look for him, you'll see he's already everywhere. You can see him on your morning walk. He's there as you drive to work. He's, he's at the mall when you go to show. You can find him at your dinner table as you enjoy a meal and, and talk. His gentle presence is there when you close your eyes and lie in the darkness to sleep. Normal moments, the, the normal stuff of everyday life, ordinary moments become divine appointments when we keep an eye out for God. And if we have the eyes to see, we'll see him everywhere because he's always coming after us. How do we know? How are we so sure because he has drawn near. Ultimately, not in, a, not in fire, but, but in flesh. 
not in a bush, but at the cross. It's this Jesus who has drawn near to us and calls us now by name. Moses thought he was done, but God wasn't done with him. And you know, in faith, through faith, in Jesus, your story isn't done yet either. And it may well be that your biggest contribution to your marriage, to your kids, to your family, to your work, to your community, to your church, your biggest contribution might be still yet to come. That can be true for us, why? Because God comes after us, and he comes after us even now, this week, this week, you and I. Let's keep an eye out for him. Look, look for holy ground, amen? Father in heaven, you come after us. You pursue us, you seek us out. You take the initiative to draw us to yourself. And so, Father, we celebrate that that this morning, whether we are aware of your presence, whether we've been too distracted to notice, whether we fear that we have wandered far from you, wherever we are, you are there. You are the God who is near. And supremely, Lord, we thank you for how you've come after us in the gospel. How how Jesus has, has come. And that with him, Lord, the best for the Christian is always yet to come. So be with us this Advent season. And would you help us to keep an eye out for you? Would you help us, make us mindful, but by the power of your spirit, interrupt our normal thoughts with an awareness to look for your presence. Because we know, Lord, when we do that, we'll find you there. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.